Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Hey friends, if you are looking for ad-free Sense of Soul episodes, you can find them at Sense of Soul Patreon. Become a monthly member at any level. You will also have access to our monthly SOS Sacred Circles, our mini-series, merch, and much more. And it's a great way to help support our podcast so that we can continue to bring you inspiring episodes twice a week with our enlightened guests from all around the world. Check out our Patreon. Today we have this award-winning, best-selling author and the host of multiple top-rated interview shows, Corey Poirier. He is an international best-selling author, multiple-time TEDx speaker, and he is the founder of Blue Talk, and he is the host of the new podcast, Enlightened Passengers. Corey and I connected through, that's my Rennie's, Alicia Myronic. And I recently attended Corey's speaking boot camp where he had three days of so much knowledge and wisdom and amazing guest speakers. And I learned so much. And so I'm so happy to have this conversation today with Corey. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? Doing good. How are you doing? I'm good. So what you been up to? I'm solo parenting this week. I just got back from we did our boot camp, as you know, then I had two days to finish everything up before traveling to um, Maryland for a five-day mastermind-style event, where it was like three days, morning till night. And then I came back to, my younger son was sick during the boot camp. My girlfriend sick, my older son now sick, but she had already planned to get away for a five-day retreat. And I had been traveling off and on, not a lot, but you know, a bit, and she didn't get to, and hers kept getting moved because of different things like this. So I told oh, her to go anyway, but... It's definitely challenging because, of course, they're not sleeping that well. They're sick. So my girlfriend gets back Monday at some point, And then I get up and then I have to drive from Prince Edward Island, where I'm at, to three hours away to Nova Scotia, to then fly to Miami. So, oh, man. You're just making my head spin. That's a lot, Corey. Thank God you haven't gotten sick through all of this. Your vibe is keeping you going and probably fighting against any sicknesses, protecting you and keeping that immune system strong. Absolutely. Because I know for myself, I've experienced that, especially it's like these high vibe conversations. I think you're right. I always tell people that I take vitamin P. I say vitamin vitamin P is the only vitamin you can't buy in the store. It's probably the most important vitamin you'll ever take. And what P stands for is purpose. And I think to your point, that's what keeps me sick less often, helps me battle a little bit more, all that kind of stuff. So I agree. Yeah. What I love about you, Corey, is that you've talked to so many people. I think that through that, you know, you've you've experienced that there's a connection between spirituality and science and they're much like our guests. They're all over the place. They're all, you know, they're not just spiritual. They're not just business. They're not just, you know, motivational speakers, this and that. I bet you've learned a lot having such a wide variety of different people you've interviewed. Yeah, I have. And it's also opened me up to more believing in the power of spirituality, synchronicity, all those things, because I wasn't a person that you would think. I jokingly used to say, look, my mother used to take me for tea leaf readings when I was really young. I think like this, this stuff is witchcraft. <laughs> That's how I thought. It wasn't until I was probably 20 something and I started having balance problems and the traditional approach wasn't working. So somebody uh, mentioned this thing called yoga. I went and tried it. And while I was doing yoga at the end, I did this one minute Shavasana where I'd kind of be in silence. 
And then I was like, whatever that one minute is, I, I go just for that now. That's a long way to say that's sort of what brought me around, Shanna, to believing there might be more here. Because previous to that, I just, I wouldn't have even thought you could sit in silence. Like, I didn't even know what that could have meant. I wasn't the traditional, like, oh, yeah, I'm all in. I totally agree. Yeah. So, first of all, your mom must have been totally cool. Yeah, she uh, still, like, but she has, at this point, I would guesstimate over 500 tarot decks. Oh, my gosh. How very cool is that? So, then you didn't grow up, then, like, in a Christian household, or? So, I grew up in a household that was, like, let's go to church on special Sundays. If you've ever heard of, I don't know if it's a term worldwide, but catechism. Have you ever heard of that? Oh term? yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I went to catechism until grade eight, but it wasn't like my mom saying, I follow this. So you should, it was, I think more yeah. my mom saying I should give you the option. But mm -hmm. the reason I bring that up is because she wasn't going <laughs> like, so it wasn't like, <laughs> she, like I would never go so far as to call my mother religious in any scope, but she, at the same time, like she believed in the idea that Whenever somebody passes away, you definitely go to the church and say your goodbyes and you you go through all the normal things that you would go to in that church versus like just kind of saying, I don't believe in that. Like you believed in it, but it was like almost, I don't want to say at a convenience, but it was at certain times. It was like, probably a condition thing in her. Like and same with my grandfather and grandmother, they didn't really go to church that often, but they would go like the Christmas Sunday and they would go certain days. I never forgot right. that. And then the catechism, yeah. like I said, she, I would even like after school, I would take the bus there. Like she was, so she was not like active yeah. in it, but I think it was just more like, I think she did tell me to go, but it was more like, again, conditioning that I think you should experience this and you can choose for yourself after that. My parents were the exact same. In fact, my dad, he would hardly ever go to church, but then he would call me like on Good Friday and say, you know, do you want to come over for fish? You shouldn't eat meat today. You know, yeah. something like that. And then it was interesting because when he died, that was the one thing he made sure that that he got to do his last rites and called, they called in a priest and everything. That's but yeah, fine. so like there was this just in case. <laughs> I'm sorry, You just nailed it perfectly. I think that should be a term just in case religious moments. <laughs> you know, like if you yeah, need these, I've talked to some priests and pastors and rabbis and their churches are getting a little less full. Their seats are becoming empty because of these conditioning rules. I hate to say it, but all of a sudden... It's funny how the rules sort of bend whenever there's, for lack of it, I mean, there is money still involved. And, you know, when, you're, when you have a church that you eventually have to close the doors on because you don't have anybody there, I think the money comes back in and then it comes right. in. Well, what rules are we okay bending a little bit? And you know what? I do see the need for community. I do. And I don't want to lose that because I see it so it's such an important thing. And you have such a community and you're a networker and I, I see that that's important to you. Were you always like that? Is Were you always like this guy, like getting everyone together and organizing things? Was everyone always kind of attracted to you and magnetized to you? Because I feel like that's the energy you put off today. You know, I, I don't, it's a hard thing to say about the energy side of it. So I'll put it this way. I was an extrovert and I think I was liked decently well in the sense I was like that guy that I think everybody was like okay with like everybody was like hey it's him I wasn't like the most popular kid in school but I also wasn't the least popular kid in school I was somewhere in the middle and I was an extrovert so I think I fit in well but I wasn't I don't think the person people were drawn to if that makes mm -hmm. sense but I think it was more so not to do with energy as it was to do with because of that age as kids it's more for lack of a better way of saying it people are often drawn to the people that are popular because they look at that as that person can yeah. get whatever the something is.
Yeah, true. Like I didn't have that something right. they were for. Um, and I think that's a magnetism or a charisma is the being popular, even if even if you don't yes. choose to be popular or even if you're popular by design or whatever the reason is, there's a certain, like, it's like I would say, like if, if Al Pacino, I believe this within every ounce of my soul, if Al <laughs> Pacino were to walk into uh, any restaurant in the world yeah. and you never saw, you didn't know who he was, never heard of him or anything, you would still turn and go, who's that guy? Like, I believe there's an energy, like a person could decide whether it's because of everything he did with acting and what he's grown into because of that, or yeah. is it that he always had that anyway? I don't know the answer. No, but, I have a kid but, like that. You know, since he was little, people would say that he had charisma. I think there's many actors that would walk in and you go, no, we wouldn't even look. And I yeah. don't mean that in a derogatory way, but I'll give you examples. Paul Rudd. I think okay, Paul Rudd yeah. is just your yeah. regular dude guy. And, and that's a compliment to him. But what right. I mean, I don't think he'd walk in and you go, who is that guy? And the funny part is, I said Al Pacino. I don't even know if you'd say it with Robert De Niro. He doesn't come across as that. But there's something about Al Pacino to me that has this like, hoo like just this, <laughs> I don't know, something about him. And I think there's just certain people that kind of have that. Uh, Johnny Depp, I think, has that. That's a that's a rough thing to say right now, given recent Johnny no, Depp. But I think he you're has so right. It made me wonder that because it was intriguing because I mentioned the school popular thing. That's where that came from. Is yeah. that I'm wondering if it was because like the, the kids were popular that they had this extra charisma uh, or was it that's how they got popular because somebody saw like they have some extra. Yes. Impact. Right. And again, that's even a touchy area to go to because a lot of times those same popular kids were the ones that bullied other people and all that other stuff. So it's not like me saying it's a positive or a negative, just that I do feel there's certain people that just have something that you mm-hmm. turn to. And this is a full rounded way to come back to say, I don't think I was that person. Like I didn't have that when I walked in the door, people like, who's that guy? But I yeah. did have the, I like this guy. I want to hang out with him for a bit. I'm, I was the same, but you know, I was friends with everyone. Like back in the day, I feel like we had more clicks. We had the stoners, the preps, the jocks, the cheerleaders. You know, I was like the preppy girl that smoked on the side of the building with the stoners and stuff. And I feel like that's what makes Mandy and I, which I wish she was here with us. We're, we are both very good at kind of being a chameleon. So no matter who comes to our house, and I feel like you are in my house right now in some way, you're in my space. We can, we can connect with you on the level that you're at and make you feel comfortable. And it's not something manipulating either. It's something natural, right? I think it can be used manipulation, but, but I can see how that could be used. You know, I, I don't think I'm a good salesman because I probably can't connect to that, but I can see how it would be used for that. But do you feel like you're like that, that you can actually shift from your last conversation and connect there and then come to me in my house and meet me where I'm at? So this is interesting. You had me, what, there's so much there that you have me three directions going, oh, I want to go here. I want to go here. I yeah, go, go all. I'll, yeah. say, I'll say two perspectives, at least on that side is that, so I come from a sales background. It's funny you said sales and I don't think I was natural at it. Like I almost got fired my first year because of poor performance. <laughs> and I wasn't natural, but I eventually adapted to it. But interestingly enough, so the answer is yes, I believe that I can be in a conversation over here. And literally turn to the next person and be, so I could be talking to one person over here about movies and TV and music. And then I could turn over to this person and talk about insert whatever here, spirituality, let's say, or to some degree religion. Like I, you know, maybe not with somebody who has read the Bible 50 times, but at least (laughs) have a conversation. And so I believe like with those three, I could go to each of those three 
almost without missing a beat in a quarter of 10 minutes in those three. Now, but what's helped me do that? So this is the bigger part. Is, okay. And this is what we're talking about, about that whole, what makes a person when they, somebody walks in go, who is that guy? Uh, so A, the reason I think I can shift those conversations is because of what actually helped me become better in sales, which was learning about personality types. So mm -hmm. learning that if I'm talking to somebody right now, that's high energy and talkative, whatever, then I'm beef it up. But if I'm talking to somebody who's like, yep, nope, yep, then I shorten it. And so understanding that there's multiple personality types in the world and mine isn't necessarily right has allowed me to adjust on the fly. That's one thing. Second thing is, this is interesting because I wonder if this is a part of the charisma side of things I talked about earlier. And this is not, this is not my way of stretching to say I have that charisma, but just maybe it makes me wonder this is that goes back to that vitamin P I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I noticed is sales got easier. I get sick less often. People wanted to be around me more. I got into circles of people that I wanted to learn from that I probably couldn't have been able to break into before and on and on and on. Once I started, once I discovered my passion and started living on purpose. So I actually think there may be something to that. Like when you find your passion or your purpose, maybe that's something that gives you that extra oomph, whatever it is. But mm. sales get easier, I think, because people are like, I want to be around this guy. He's just, he seems so happy with what he's doing. He seems content. Mm. Uh, just like we had Ken Honda on our um, virtual boot camp. Were you there for Ken Honda? I know you were on for some of it. Yeah. The yeah. reason I, I asked that is because Ken Honda is one of those people and I'm trying to capture it, figure it out, put it in a bottle. I'm trying to figure out how he does it, but there's something about that dude that uh -huh. as soon as he comes on the screen, he doesn't even have to say a word. I already feel better about myself. I already mm -hmm. feel more calm and chill. And it's like he has this aura around him that he doesn't yeah. know. Oh, like he might know he has, but I don't know how it got there. And what I'm getting at is how can you replicate that? Like, I don't know what gives him that. I mean, you could say, okay, well, and he's open about this. So it's not me saying it. You could say it's because he's gotten to a point where financially he's secure and doesn't have to worry about that. But how many other people are financially secure, doesn't have to worry about that, that are wrecks mm -hmm. that are always unhappy or, or, you know, yelling at people or cursing and what have you. Um, so, he found his you know, and, Yeah. Well, and if this is a never, when I say this stuff, it's never to uh, attack somebody, but you know, you could look at the comparison, like what's his name, Mr. Wonderful on the Shark Tank. Um, yeah. If you've ever watched that, oh, yeah. he's always, he always seems like, uh, not yeah. he's not cranky. I don't think he is happy, but he's like fighting with people and always aggressive and all. And, and you could say it was just for the show, but I think that's a bit of who he is. And <laughs> my point is he doesn't to me have that, like what Ken has, mm. even though he has billions of dollars, he has it maybe in a different way, but it's not the same thing. And again, if he were walking in the door, I don't know if I would turn around and look at him. But Ken, I know I would. Like the guy just comes, he just like seems like he has this, hey, how's it going? And just like nothing bothers him. I'm going back to Ken now. And so I don't know again if that's because he's discovered his purpose fully and he's dialed in. Because I have to believe that Mr. Wonderful probably feels he discovered his purpose too. So I, yeah. I mean, exploring this because I'd love to know. And not because yeah. I want to manipulate it, but like there's a thing called NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, that I've always wanted to learn because I love the power of communication and and how, mm -hmm. uh, not to manipulate it, but just the idea that you can have an amazing conversation with somebody and both be on the same side and yeah. both be in agreement. And so I would love to figure out how to unravel this thing that, you know, that I started maybe uh, a few minutes earlier about the idea of what is that thing that makes, that draws people to you. And I think passion is one part of it, but yeah. maybe there's like, maybe there's five things. I don't know. Maybe it's like freedom and peace of mind. 
freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want. Maybe I was about to say that you're very open. So the openness you have to have, you cannot be like one side or the other and be able to do that. Cause then you're only speaking to one audience is going to be this one. Absolutely. And maybe that's it too. You know, maybe that is, is part of it. The openness, like, and that's what I'd love to do, but I'm one of those people that I'll never promote it as something until I've really, I mean, I've done 6,500 interviews and I'm still not ready to say what creates this thing we're talking about right now, this invisible essence, yeah. but maybe, we're, maybe we're onto it. Like maybe those are three of the things I'd love to find the combination. Yeah. And I think experience kind of- is a big one too, because you know what, as you're, as you were talking and I know that you, you've had like 6,500 interviews. That's so, that's so many, but you know what I have coached and have four children and was always involved And I think that because of the experience that I've had with so many different personalities and because I'm a people person too. And I think that one of your gifts is that you're a people person. You like people, not just one type. You want to know people. And through that, you have helped people. So it's interesting that because your desire to know people and understand people and meet people and you know, find out how, how, what's up with this guy? Like, how did he get to where he is? That's molded you into helping others. I've listened to your episodes on so many different shows and they're inspiring. You bring out a very beautiful thing out of people. Oh, well, thank you so much. You just made my day and maybe my week. I I so appreciate that. And, you know, I will say that I believe if it's something that you're passionate about, so I want to clarify because there's certain things we do that maybe we don't mind doing them, but we're not passionate about them. But I think if it's something you're passionate about, you should work hard to get better at it and do it well. And so I'm passionate about learning from and bringing stuff out of people that they haven't shared before because Mm-hmm. I, so I take it as a personal challenge. If I'm interviewing somebody, Lisa Nichols, for instance, uh, for those who are familiar with Lisa Nichols, she was featured in The Secret. She's been on Oprah, Super Soul Sunday. And so Lisa Nichols conservatively probably interviewed 4,000, 5,000 times. And so during the middle of one of our interviews, she said, you brought things out of me that I've never said to anybody in my life before. At that point, she had just done 155 interviews, she said, uh, in the last five months. And she said, a lot of those interviews ran together and felt the same, but you brought stuff out of me. Well, to me, that's a win. And the reason is, it's not because it's a me thing like, oh, look at me. I got her praise from Lisa. It's the other side. It's that I was able to get her to share something that she was happy to share and can impact other people's lives. And if you're listening to that interview, you're going to hear something from her that she's never shared before. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is a personal challenge. Uh, I interviewed Jack Canfield, Chicken Soup for the Soul, a number of years ago. And I didn't know probably about three, four years ago, the chicken soup for the soul. He doesn't own that at all. Neither does Mark Victor Hansen. So the two guys that wrote it and for years until I think maybe the last three years, they were on the front of every book, even like eight years after they sold the brand. Now I might have the timeline wrong. They haven't owned it for years and long ago. Now I think the original deal was probably for five years or seven years, they would stay on. So it would still be seamless transition. But if you go look now on the website, whoever the lady, her and her husband, I think bought the company, you'll see her name. She's the curator. Her name's on the front of every chicken soup now. But the reason I bring that up is because I'd done it two, maybe three interviews with him and he had never said it. Nobody had ever said it. And then a friend of mine did um, train the trainer with him and his team. And she said, well, they don't own that anymore. You know that, right, Corey? And I said, 
I do not know that. And my point is, I went to my next interview and that was kind of a goal. I said, I want to get Jack to share that if he's comfortable sharing it. Because I thought, well, nobody shared it. So obviously it's not like a, let's tell everybody. Like yeah. maybe part of it is like, he, he gets the benefits, obviously, of people still associating with him with that brand. And like on his website, you won't find where, and then when they sold the brand, like it's not on there. So oh what God. I'm getting at is I'm like, that'll be cool if I can get him to say it in an interview. And I don't even get him to say it, like trick it out of him, but just if he says it. And so bottom line is my next interview, of course, he came out and said it. Like he said, you know, here's how much. I, so I don't know if he said how much, but he right. talked about how they tithe. Him and Mark used to tithe. For every book sold, they would give a certain percent to charity. And he said, he, he said, when we sold the brand, he said, that was the hardest check I ever had to write. He said, because it was the biggest check I ever had to write. And he said, my hand was shaking. But he said, I knew that this was the deal. Like this was the deal I made. And so I had to write this check. And the reason that came up the context was he talked about how it's not always easy to give back. Yeah. It's not always easy to pay it forward. But he said every other time it had always come back. He said this time, no different. You find that is common with the people that you talk to people who have willingly given and they are successful because of their willing to give to the world. So here's the key, and this is why, let me say, if it were easy, everybody would do it. So it sounds so easy, right? It sounds like, okay, well, here, here you go. Here's 10 bucks. I, I, I plan to get 100 back today, right? It's just like the secret. And we can dive into that, like why the yeah. secret didn't work for a lot of people. And I can tell you a concrete answer, which I didn't hear. It took me years to get the, around to this answer. But same deal. Uh, why it's so hard, what I've discovered. So A, yes, first part of your answer. Yes, I've discovered that a lot of these top influencers give more than most people. They understand that it's important to give back. And some of them come from a place of much was given to me, so I need to give back. Now I say this, uh, Shanna, I want to make it clear that not everybody does. There's always goods and bads, but I just mean yeah. a lot of people I interview tend to be givers. However, here's the hard part. That's the easy part. I think what's harder, and I see this a lot, is them giving back of themselves. You know, going to a soup kitchen, for example, and, mm -hmm. and putting in their time. Because their time, a lot of times, is more valuable than money. But go back to the original point. Yes, I find a lot of them give in whatever way the giving is. But here's the thing that most people find hard is they give knowing they may not receive. Meaning and say, if it doesn't come back, it's still good enough. In other words, if I give, if nothing comes back to me, I still have broken even. The intention behind it is without any expectations. 100%. And that's a key part of it. And why that's so hard is it's the psychological side. Because as a giver, as a person who's trying to do it, to manipulate it, to get money back. I remember one time, Dr. Greg Reed, who does a lot of stuff with the law of attraction, he said to me, his friend described it as like, when you do give without expecting to receive, it's like a fan. No matter how much you throw, how much you throw at it, it comes back again to you. Uh, and it makes me think of the Seinfeld thing where Seinfeld had an episode where uh, it always bounced back. So like threw a $20 bill at the window as a joke. And then he grabbed an old jacket and put his hand in his pocket and there was a $20. Yeah. And, and so I do believe that happens. It truly is magical how it happens. But the, here's the here's why it's a struggle. And I can, if you want, I can tie this into the secret too. But here's why it's a struggle. The reason it's a struggle is because our subconscious mind knows whether we're giving without receiving, without expecting to receive. So it's easy enough to say, I'm okay with it. But your subconscious mind knows the truth. True. And I, and do I believe in manifestation first? Yes, check, I do. Do I believe in the law of attraction? Check, yes, I do. So first, let's get that out of the way. I'm not trying to detract from it. Having said that, the reason I think, there's a two-part reason. Uh, the reason I think, first of all, the secret didn't work for everybody that thought it would, because millions of people discovered the secret and not millions of people discovered unlimited abundance. I think it's because yeah. 
the secret was limited to the amount of time they could make a movie out of. And they realized in a documentary, it was better to put the sexiest stuff in. But the problem is the sexy stuff didn't include the rolling your sleeves up and taking action. So I always say that the, what was missing from attraction, which is ironic because it's in the word attraction, is action. So That's I wrong. think the law of attraction needs the law of action. And so it needs to be in motion. So I think what happened is a lot of people saw the secret. There was a literal genie in there rubbing a lamp saying, give me my wish. Or uh, another one saying, oh, I, I wanted this. And then I came outside and there was a car with a ribbon around it and somebody gifted it to me. And so people thought, I just have to put it up on a wall and look at it. And Lisa Nichols said the greatest answer to that, greatest rebuttal to that I've ever heard. She said, it sounds great in theory, but if you have the greatest vision board in the world, you put it up next to you on a wall in your living room and you sit and watch TV and you look at that vision board three times a day, study it, whatever. Uh, if you do nothing else but look at that board at the end of the day, end of the year when you get up and stand up for the couch, you know what you're going to have? The only thing you're going to have is a lump in your couch. No action. And so that so it doesn't happen that some people... Uh, put it out to the universe and it comes back. Yes, we all know that. Mm -hmm. But what I'm getting at is that for most people, they're not taking the action. So may, why did it work for some people, not others? Maybe because for them, they saw the action. Like they saw, here's what I need to do. They saw it coming. So they're, if they're more clairvoyant or they saw it more, excuse me, they might say, okay, well, this is an opportunity I should jump on. So they said, right. well, it came to me, but maybe it's just because they saw it and took action. But there's a lot of people and I, I always love that, um, that there's a great story I heard. I think it's like an urban myth or whatever, or one of those like just riddles or whatever. But it was the, the story about um, this guy that was asking uh, whoever, higher power, God, what have you for 5,000 bucks, need it desperately, whatever. And then a vehicle shows up to his house with a whole bunch of cans and recycling and all that. And yeah. uh, the guy says, hey, do you want this? And he said, no. And anyway, long story short, three things show up at his house. And then finally, he has this conversation with his higher power and said, hey, I asked you for money. Why didn't you help me? He goes, I tried and you kept giving it back. Wow. But he couldn't see that it was coming to him in different forms. And the recycling was worth more than $1,000 was part of the story. So again, my point is, there's two parts to this. I haven't got to the second part, but the first part is you need to take action. The attraction part for very few people works on its own. So the first part is you need to actually take the action side of it. So real world example, I'm doing an interview for a documentary I'm working on. I'm supposed to do an interview with this UFC guy uh, in Miami. He gave me the wrong address by accident. I went to the wrong address. Then I said, hey, uh, here's what you sent me. He goes, oh, sorry, I sent you the wrong address. I said, well, how long is it going to take me to get to the other side? He said, probably an hour and a half. I said, can you wait? And he said, yeah. And I got about five minutes away and he sent me a message that said, sorry, champ, something came up, had to bail. So my interview was canceled. And I thought, well, it's, I'm in Miami. I can go to the beach and make lemonade if I have to. Uh, but I got a <laughs> message like, half hour later from my good friend, Tiffany. And she said, Hey, remember that guy I wanted you to interview for that documentary you're working on? I said, yeah. She said, remember I told you he lives in Toronto now? I said, yeah. She goes, well, him and his girlfriend split up and now he moved back to Miami. I know you're in Miami right now. Would you be able okay. to interview? His day got moved everything. Like literally she's reached out and he said, Oh my God, I had three things and they all got shifted. And, yeah. and my afternoon was free. And then, so we did an interview at a music studio because he's a producer. And I bring this up, Shannon, because that all sounds awesome. And that's all, whatever you want to call it, a synchronicity or a friend would call it a myrony. Yeah. Whatever you call that doesn't matter because none of it happens if I don't say, yes, I'm in. In the sense that I could have said, yeah, that sounds awesome. But can we do that later? I'm going to go to Miami. I, I'm, at, I'm near the beach now. And I was, I was like literally parking. I had a towel. I was going to the beach, but I took action. And by the way, the end of that interview, he said, who else can I link you up for, for this documentary? And I said, well, we just met 
I don't want to abuse that. He said, well, how about I'll text you if I come up with somebody? Sounds good. I get to my hotel. I had a text on my phone. I still have it somewhere here. He said, for that documentary, how about Les Brown and Bob Proctor? Oh, wow. And he sent me a message. <laughs> he sent a message to both of them and they said, anything for him, I'm in. And of course, this is the late Bob Proctor now. But I never would have had those two interviews. None of that would have happened if I wouldn't have taken action. So everybody hears that story and they all think synchronicity. Yeah, it's synchronicity. But what did you do about it? And so, and not only that, I write. I have a book where I write synchronicities because I believe that you need to tell the universe I want more of these. And when you write them down, or you at least thank the universe, you get more of them. So that's part one. I'll give you part two easier. Why I think this law of attraction was a struggle for so many. The second one is because what you're trying to manifest, most people don't believe they really have it. So yeah. what do I mean by that? What do people say after that? What do people say you should do with the law of attraction? I am a confident millionaire. Mm. Who knows you're not? Your subconscious mind. Yeah. Feel it. I know I am, but your subconscious mind doesn't feel it. And yeah. I have a book here somewhere by Neville Goddard. Somewhere I just bought it. Anyway, the book's called Feeling is the Secret. I'm looking to see if I have it here. Corey, I freaking love old books. From that generation, I've been reading so many books. Those people were so like plugged. I don't know like when it fell off. 100%. I've said, I just had this conversation with a guy named Dr. Dane here. And I just, we were talking about it. And I said, I, I've commented that almost all the books that come up yeah. are 50s, 60s, 40s, psychological books. Uh, Psycho-cybernetics has been coming up a lot lately. And so I, I, him and I were talking about it. I said, I wonder what they were tapped into back then. And, and I said, it seemed to actually seem to stop in the 70s. People were taking some really strong risks back then to write. Yeah. And you know, we could say it was because of what they were experimenting with, but this started back in like the 1800s. Actually, I don't know how far it went back, but I know at least the 1800s. So I'm not going to give you the answer because I'm not that wise and intellectual to give you the answer for how to feel it in your subconscious. But what I will say is I believe, and this is what Neville talks about, is what you have to do now. He didn't say why the secret didn't work because he was before the secret, meaning before the, you know, became present day. But what he basically is saying is, your subconscious mind has to believe it, mm -hmm. not your conscious mind. So one of the things I love, so uh, John Gray, Mentor from Mars, he shared with me whenever he wanted to sell his book to become the best-selling relationship book in the world, what yeah. he did, what I thought was brilliant, is he would act as if the publisher was, was calling. So he would, oh. the publisher, like, oh, oh my God, my book hit the New York Times list? And it hadn't. He would act as if it was a publisher, or he would act as if a couple was coming up and saying, thanks for saving our marriage. So he did that every day. And I thought, that was pretty profound because then he didn't have to believe he was that person he just had to believe that that call could happen i'm thinking there's just so many stories we're telling ourselves so it goes to that deeper work that you have to actually do to be able to let go some of that negative talk that those patterns i said i wasn't going to give a solution but i'll tell you somebody who i believe probably is one of the people that does seem to have the solution to this is a lady named kathy pidwell Unique enough name that if you Google it, I'm sure there won't be many. Interesting, like how you meet people, but synchronicity that's happened with Cappy, how I got connected with her is I had uh, Harper Collins, I believe it was, sent me an email and they said, would you like to have somebody in your show to talk about blah, blah, blah. And we get on for our podcast. I'm sure you guys get it too, because you're a big podcast. We get some days, 45, 50 requests. And so it was just another request for lack of a better way of saying it. And they did that with two big names that I would have liked to have on the show. And I had tried to reach before Jordan Harbinger has a really big show. And he, I like what he said one time is he said, if you're trying to pitch a show, and this is maybe a tip for anybody that wants to be on a podcast, don't bury the lead. And so what he meant by that was don't bury the thing that's going to get you on this show. 
And, you know, there's always one thing that somebody's going to say, we need that person on our show. So HarperCollins buried the lead. What they did was they said, how would you like to have blah, 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 blah in the subject? And I ignored it because it looked like every other press release. And even, I, by the way, opened it and the press release was just like, blah, blah, blah. Since the beginning of blah, blah, blah. A guy named Neil something who wrote the book of awesome, who I was a fan of. And I missed it, the opportunity altogether because by the time we sorted through and discovered it, he was already off the book tour. And he's one of those guys, I think he only does interviews when he's on tour. The second person though was Stedman Graham. So Stedman Graham, for those that may not know, is Oprah's partner. Yeah. And he's like a, a dynamo in his life. He's you know one of the world's top thought leaders. And I always want to have Stedman on the show. And then they buried it. And it was like, so here's oh, yeah. my thing, Jana. Wouldn't it make more sense yeah. in your subject to say, want to have Stedman Graham on your show? <laughs> anybody who knows his name, it's done. You don't even have, yeah. you can literally go dot, 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 nobody in the email. And but, we're going to reply saying, yeah. for those that know him and want him on our show, we're going to reply saying, yep, tell me how I do it. So they buried that. So I lost it. Right. So I was like, meaning lost the opportunity. So what happened was I got on this thing called the new media summit, which is a podcasting conference that used to happen. Hopefully it'll start again. I did the virtual one after being there live a few years and I was on inside of a small room. And because I'm a podcaster, like there's 40 podcasters that are, they call the icons of influence where you go and you're the ones that people pitch. So I was in a group and they said, can you like go into the group and teach them something about something? So I went in the group and I said, okay, don't bury the lead. So this was my teachings. And then I gave the Stephen Graham story. I was in the room with about eight people uh, the next day, or it might've been that day, but I think it was the next day I got a message from this lady. And she said, Corey, do you still want to do the Stephen Graham interview? And I said, yeah, why? And she goes, well, I'm his publicist. He only has one publicist in the world. In a room of 20 people at an event that only had 200 people out of 8 billion people in the world. She was in the room while I'm telling a story about Stephen Graham. Oh, I could have been telling God. it about that Neil book, book of Awesome, and she would have never reached out. But I chose Stedman. Anyway, cool. so, so right and people can check it out. We did the interview with Stedman. And so, so what she also said is, can I also pitch Cappy Pidwell? And I said, okay. I don't know who a Cappy Pidwell is. <laughs> What's a Cappy Pidwell? <laughs> yeah, yeah or, what a Cap I didn't know what the, what it was. Anyway, so she pitched this lady to me. And I, you know, it was one of those things where I think you probably agree. If somebody uh, helps you get an interview you've been trying to get a while, then if they recommend somebody else, you're like, well, chances are they wouldn't represent somebody else that I wouldn't like. So sure. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll help you. You help me. Yeah. And like, And so I brought Cappy in the show and she blew my mind. And so bottom line is, uh, I don't have it. I was looking for it too. I, I should have my books close at hand. I never know what you're going to talk about, but she has this book and I forget what it's called right now, but in the book, she gives you a routine to do for like 21 days to actually train your subconscious mind to truly believe it. Yeah. And part of the wording is, is it possible that I could believe that I'm a millionaire? Mm, I like, like that. Being, instead of I'm a millionaire, is, is it, it possible I could be a millionaire or I could believe I was a millionaire? But it goes right to the point of feeling versus just saying it. And right. so this is a long roundabout way to say, I think the two things that were missing for most people from the law of attraction, if they could get these dialed in, it would change everything is you need to take action and mm -hmm. you need to truly feel it in your subconscious level that mm -hmm. what these things you're saying you are, you truly are. So when I say, when I said, is it possible? I also had to go inward and kind of dig a little bit. Is it possible? Then of course it's possible. Everything is possible, but it made me go inward to, to really connect and, you know, go a little deeper. That's a really good one. What it changed for me is this longing feeling that I needed to find out why the secret didn't work for everybody. It sounds weird, <laughs> but that was a really pestering thing to me because, because I believed in the law of attraction. I believed in what they're doing. I believed in all the teachers in the law of attraction. 
Yeah. Like everything made sense. And I knew that they applied it in their life to have success. So yeah. everything ended up except for why. And here's the thing. What made me feel better is the more I interviewed people from The Secret, John Asaraf, Lisa Nichols, what have you, the more I realized they knew too. By the end of the movie, because they had to shorten it, things were left out. Like they didn't get to see the final thing until it came out. And so they felt that there were certain elements that probably had to be taken out to make it sexier, but it took away from maybe being able to apply it. So Lisa went on a tour for two years talking about what you still had to do that wasn't included in The Secret. John Asraf wrote a book called The Answer. And the answer was the answer to what The Secret couldn't tell you. Not that I'm going to create something that's going to reach all those people like that got reached once and then gave up on it. But I just think of all those people where we had that, that opportunity, get them to start saying, maybe there's something bigger than me out there. Mm. And we lost some of them, but it's just that whenever you have a chance to introduce somebody to something that could change their life, you're always going to lose probably a larger percentage that came in just for the, Hey, I'm going along with the crowd. But what I'm saying is there's some of those people that I think if they just knew, Oh, you mean I have to take action and here's some of the steps? Or if I just knew this isn't working because I really don't believe it, even though I'm telling myself I do. It's just that tweak for some people may have made all the difference. Okay, so you're a perfect example of what you just said. So you have put out to the world, like you just were, I'm going to share the things that I've learned. You put it out there. It's just like giving, right? Like all of these successful people have been with it with no expectations. And you are so passionate. It is possible. And one thing I've heard you say several times, sometimes you just have to take that chance and put yourself out there. You have to ask if you want something. You have to maybe send an email. But all they can do is say no to you. You know, my dad always was a big believer in asking for help and connection and in working together in teamwork. You are a great example of that, Corey. Well, you know, first of all, thank you uh, so much. And I will say if people want strategy around how to do that, there's a great book by Mark Victor Hansen and Crystal Hansen that's called Ask. And it's about the three ways you should ask for things. And more often than not, you'll get what you're asking for. But it, what makes me think of is this, this boot camp we just did. There was a lady in the boot camp. She just shared with me in a voicemail that she put out to the world that she wanted to do something. But we had somebody on our event talking about a thing that was upcoming. And they were going on this, you know, retreat type thing. And it was this once in a lifetime type thing. So this girl at our um, boot camp put it out there that she wanted to go on to that retreat. And she put it out on Facebook or somewhere and said, you know, this is something I want to do. Maybe I can manifest it in the next couple of years, like maybe the next time they go or whatever. Long story short, somebody actually reached out to her privately and has gifted her the money. What? And now she's going on this adventure. Well, guess what? I've heard a story like this too from your boot camp. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. I have a good friend who actually I had as my guest. And she actually was gifted from her coach, her boot camp. What? Wow. Yes. Your boot camp had a lot of great connections. It's it was wonderful. I have to say stuff like that to me one of the things like for me I I see wins as if you have somebody in a circumstance like that that has a quick win during the boot camp or the next day. I don't take that lightly. That to me is why we're doing what we're doing. And to tell you one that really kind of stopped me in my tracks, I feel so humbled that we had a lot of these, like a lot of different moments for people, but one that stopped me in my tracks. And maybe it's because it's close to her because of my girlfriend, but my girlfriend's been in recovery for eight years. Mm -hmm. And so we shared that out there in the event openly. And I shared that she actually had just got her eight year chip and all that kind of stuff at AA. Wow. So somebody sent me a message on Facebook and still warms my heart. Uh, she said, this weekend was awesome. I wanted to tell you that 
hearing about Shelly's eight year sober anniversary really got me inspired. And I went to my first AA meeting tonight. So on top of everything else I took away from the boot camp, I feel like I was also given this gift. And then the picture is her holding her AA chip from one day. Here's the thing, Shannon, we can look at the glass half full or empty. Somebody could say, well, yeah, but will she stay? It doesn't matter because now she knows it exists. Yeah. Had she not walked through that door, she doesn't know she has at least an option. In other words, not everybody walks into AA, succeeds on the first go around. And some people don't like AA, but I can tell you from being in those rooms, and I'm not an alcoholic, so I'm saying this yeah. from an alcohol perspective. I've seen so many people that without that program, oh, yeah. some, probably their life doesn't exist. And I've actually done Al-Anon. So okay. yeah. I, on the other side, you know, see just such a need. To, but there it goes back again, that community. We're at a boot camp talking about speaking, right? You've got like all of these best speakers and authors and influencers on here. And the connections that were happening unseen were miracles. Again, I'm always, a ha- obviously, you can tell I'm a glass is half full. I'm actually a, like a glass is full. The jug is full. Like I'm that guy. <laughs> and, and I have to say, like, it's like, quote unquote, the COVID pandemic, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we had one of our speakers on kept calling it the clamp down. <laughs> you know, whatever you call it, <clears throat> it doesn't matter. What I will say to you is that for me, there, it, there were so many blessings that came from that. And I don't mean that to make light of somebody who maybe didn't have blessings from it, they feel. But for instance, is that boot camp came out because of COVID because we yeah. had done some of those events live and we asked, is it possible to bring people together and do this online? And I'll be honest with you, people are like, when are you going back to live? And I'm not sure of the answer because we can reach people everywhere in the world. Like we're having people come from Australia that would probably not be able to travel to the live. At the same time, I think we're actually reaching people deeper because in those rooms and stuff, when you're at a live event like that, there's so much happening in the main room that you're always feel like you're missing something or I got to get back or yeah, true. Or so it distract you. And so for long story short is I, that event wouldn't exist without COVID. Secondly, Blue Talks. Now we launched it pre-COVID. Uh, mm-hmm. This is our brand where we help people get on stages in books, whatever it is. Like essentially we're trying to help them get their message out to the world in the various different platforms that we have. So we have a podcast, the book series, live events and virtual stage and blue talks. I don't think would be what it is already in two and a half years without COVID. And the reason I say that is we started mm-hmm. in COVID, but it kind of forced us to speed it up. Now the live events part of it slowed down. Obviously we did three live events and then we were actually getting those videos ready and then COVID happened and we canceled events. So that part slowed down, but then we shifted focus to the virtual and the book and everything. Those elements like the virtual wasn't even going to exist. And so it got us to think about the brand more well-rounded wise. And now here we are full circle and we're doing live events like crazy. And so now we're two years, I think, since we officially launched. And at the end of November, we'll have done 12 live events since COVID. We have we'll have done 13 virtual events. And these are big, like one-week events. Uh, we've released wow. eight books in the series. And we have two special edition books coming. The podcast has been going for that amount of time. And in total, we've had close to 400 and some people either on our stage, in the books, become best-selling wow. authors, have you beautiful the reach too you know when I look at and see you know you know we're reaching people all over the world but you know and it was Daniel Geffen I don't know if you know who he is he had one time said to me something that stuck with me he said just imagine if you were actually physically do you know how hard he said it is to physically be in front 
of that many people that you're reaching, can you imagine how hard that would be? Like that is a true accomplishment. The other side to that, so the flip side is I hear a lot of people like, I don't know if you know the the burn rate or whatever of podcasts or drop rate or whatever they call it. It's basically to the tune of something like the average podcast only lasts nine episodes. Like it's really low, the amount of people that continue. And I think part of the problem is when you start a podcast, it'd be very abnormal to put out a few episodes and see like 5,000 listeners, as you know, it's like, it doesn't usually happen on day one. We got lucky with one of my first podcasts because back then with LinkedIn, you could actually just, you could send a message to your whole LinkedIn tribe. And I had like 5,000. So I was able to go, Hey, check out my new show. And we got like 8,000 in a month, but that's not normal. And so the normal podcast, the average podcast, actually even like every podcast taken into account, the average gets like a hundred and some listeners. So it's like, it's not big. And so what happens is a lot of people tap out. But I think the sad part is it's like everything in life. Sometimes they tapped out three feet from gold as Napoleon. Mm-hmm. And so what I think the sad part is, is people don't look at it like you just said. So somebody, I don't know if I said it to somebody or somebody said to me, I just remember the conversation. We were talking about it, about, and I think it came up because I had just done a talk in my local town for mm-hmm. like a group of 80 local small business owners or something. I like doing, you know, a small town, like my, my hometown type talks. Mm-hmm. And I came up somehow where people look at their podcast and say, I only had 110 listeners on that episode. This is wasting my time. But that same person, if I rephrase that and said, if I could get you a gig to go speak in front of 110 of the right people intimately for 45 minutes, would you do it? Almost every person that's a speaker would say every day of the week, I don't know if already speaking to 20,000 people every day, but for most people, you would say, absolutely. So how's it any different? But people don't get that. And then they tap into podcasting. And just when they're doing this, you know, this, unfortunately, could be like, they had 15 listeners. Now they have 32, but they don't realize you're starting like 15 to 32 could be 15,000 to 32,000 next year. You know, it's interesting too, looking back at the law of attraction and what you were saying, you know. Our expectations was hope that this falls on the ears that need to hear. That was our desire that we're putting out to the world. So we were so connected to that passion and purpose. And I think that that authentically has to be there. 100%. I think you have to be in it for the right reasons. And then you can have great goals and you can have big wishes and things you want to have happen. But I think it has to start with you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, I think it all comes back to that, like this enlightened passenger show that we've been mentioning that I put out that show was for the right reasons. And Mm -hmm. and there's two part reasons for that. One is I wanted to know what people would say, like I wondered what I would say. And so I wanted to know what other people would say to a passenger on a plane, a stranger that leans over and says, hey, do you got any life advice for me? I wanted to know that answer. And I thought other people would probably like to be in on that conversation of what a top influencer would say to somebody on a plane if that's if they only had five minutes to share something with them. So that was what drove it. And then the secondary, meaning I had a goal as well, is I'm releasing a book in probably March called The Enlightened Passenger. And so originally I thought this was going to be a short run show where like I would do 12 episodes to promote the book and what have you. But oh, no. it happened because the show is short. It's only 15 minute episodes. I started getting yeses from people I could never get yeses from before to be on the show. So like Neil Donald Walsh and Deepak Chopra and Jake the Snake, the wrestler, Jake the Snake Roberts and Dr. Christian Northrup. And so all of a sudden I'm getting yeses where it was no before. And then I'm like, well, I guess we got a new show. The very first episode with Neil Donald Walsh. I mean, I was crying, Corey. <laughs> I loved that episode. 
And now it's time for Break That Shit Down. So I was thinking about Break That Shit Down with you, but I decided I wanted to ask you (laughs) what it would be that you would say to someone next to you on a plane. Well, thank you so much. And I did wonder when... I would get that question because I used to ask a time. Well, I still do. I asked a time machine question that I've asked that one like thousands of times. I'll give you a, a little teaser, but I won't say much more about it. But there will probably be a time machine project, maybe a documentary coming in the future because we've asked that question so many times. But it took like maybe, I don't know how many times I'd asked it, but it feels like maybe 2000 times before anybody asked me. I thought it would happen before that. And this one, you got me way earlier. Like, this is like, I've only asked the question about the passenger probably less than 50 times. So kudos to be the first one. So my answer, I believe in going immediately to what popped in my head. Like, what was the first thing? As you were asking the question, it popped in my head. And so I could go way beyond this, but I think I have to simplify and go right to this, is I would say to that person, everything, and it kind of go in full circle to my vitamin P. Everything in life is better when you're living on purpose. And so what I would say to that person is you need to find your purpose. You know, I have a book called the book of why and how, and I teach strategy around how to find your passion. And people often wonder like the two different words, why do I use them interchangeably? They're not interchangeable. I believe passion is what you do. The thing purpose is why you're doing it. But I've learned that the cheapest and shortest gateway into a purpose is through passion. Like if you find something you're passionate about, eventually you start going, Ooh, I'm doing this because of that. Oh, wait a minute. That might be my why. And so I found that one's the gateway to the other more often than not. Some people find their purpose right away, but I find most people have to go through their passion to get there. And so what I would say to a person is find something you love, start doing it more. And as you start doing it more, it'll eventually become apparent whether or not this is your calling. And if it is, do it more and more. If it's not, keep doing it because you love doing it and find another thing until eventually you find a why that's bigger than you because if you find a why that's bigger than you you'll figure out every how in life and not only that you'll be and i go back to the earlier get a full circle you'll be happier more people want to be around you i wake up every day pretty much with a smile on my face so i can say almost every day i'm to the point where i've said to people i put it out there nobody's ever cashed in yet i said if you ever find where i'm like literally unhappy and cranky to people and what have you i'll hand you a thousand dollars i'll go to the bank withdraw a thousand dollars nobody's cashed in yet um, I've often said to people as well, you catch me, like people say, how many hours do you work a week? And I said, I don't know, but if you catch me, you work and you let me know and I'll stop because I don't feel I've worked in years. I retired at 20 once I found what I love. And so that's a long way to go back to the point is I would say, you need to find out what you're here to do. Whether you find it through me, you find it through somebody else. You need to do that, whatever it takes, because it'll make everything better. And honestly, Shanna, I could go one by one, but it'll make everything better is the best way I can do it. And the hardest part for me telling people that I already know this too, is that if you don't know how it feels, you don't realize what you're missing. But what I can say is if you've ever seen a kid that loves Christmas, that's what I feel every day when I jump out of bed. So if you want to be that kid that actually loves Christmas, like whatever that feels like, you don't have to love Christmas. You might have reasons you hate Christmas, but I'm saying if you want to be like, if you want to feel like that kid that falls over his feet, get downstairs at three in the morning, go up in his presence. That's what I feel like every day. And so I would say to that passenger, find the thing that makes you do that. I'm so glad that you did. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom. Gosh, you're fun. <laughs> well, thank you, Anna. This has been an absolute blast and a pleasure.
Yes. And I do. I love your new podcast, Enlightened Passenger. Why don't you go ahead and plug yourself with all of your amazing shows that you want to throw out there, your websites and whatever you got going on next. Uh, I think only two places I'd probably send people is two things I mentioned. And of course, as you mentioned, we have a few things on the go, but I would say Blue Talks is one thing. And that really is for somebody that feels they have a calling and a message they want to get out to more people. If that's you, and especially heart-based people, whether it's entrepreneurs or just people that really feel I have this message and I want my legacy to be out in the world in a specific way. I always say, uh, think of TEDx meets chicken soup with a soul. We've often said uh, chicken soup and TEDx got together and had a soul child. We'd probably be that child. If you want to get your message out on stages, uh, in books, all that kind of stuff, that's one option. And I would say the easiest way for that, I mean, we have bluetalks.com or you could literally just reach out to us. So if it's cool for me to give an email, that's usually the easiest. So email address is pretty easy. It's conversations with an S with leaders with an S at gmail.com. So conversations with leaders at gmail.com. And then, so that's for Blue Talks. The only other one which you mentioned was the Enlightened Passenger. That's a totally different thing. If you want to check out that show, we always guarantee it to be less than 25 minutes each episode. Peopleonplanes.com. Again, peopleonplanes.com. That's the website. And Shanna, the reason for that is I felt that a lot of people typing quickly would misspell passenger like me. Or sorry, <laughs> enlightened, I mean, enlightened. I, so whenever I was first registering it, I misspelled it. And I'm like, this is my show. And if I can't spell it right the first try, and it's because, you know, I type quick. And yeah. so I would type it wrong. But I'm like, I don't want to make people have to think through it. What's the spelling of this? So I thought people on planes, it, that's what they are. They're, these are two people on planes having a conversation. It's an easy thing yeah. to remember. Well, listeners, go to it. Let's listen to it. I look forward to who's next, what's next. So we're going to have you in the show soon too. So that's going to be cool. I know. I can't wait. People will actually have to tune in for your episode, but you guys will let them know about that part and we'll make sure we tell the world. Yes. So yeah. And shout out to Alicia Myronic for connecting us. Thanks so much. It's been a blessing. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. I appreciate it. All right, Corey. Thank you. You have a good day. You too. Thanks so much. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you will come back next week. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe. Thank you. We rise to lift you up. Thanks for listening.